0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Stakes ends April 3rd,
1: 2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Zella made a beat, so it's go time.
0: Grizz Nation to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure you're listening to that podcast network because we have a lot of good content on there between the GBB Live and 3ND Podcast. Uh, Justin Lewis, host of 3ND, just had the Ringers' Jonathan Sharks on. Huge get for the site, so be sure to tune into that. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation you can find on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is Nathan Chester. Nathan, what up?
1: Not much, man. What's going on with you? Not much. Uh, ha-
0: pretty much a half day at work today because we get tomorrow off for the 4th of July weekend. So not much to complain about, to be honest.
1: You're just out here vibing, man. You're just out here enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Celebrating Independence Day within the comfort of your own home, the way the rest of us will be.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a message to our listeners, make sure you're staying safe, wearing your mask, the whole nine yards. And so, Nate, it's July. So that means basketball is starting back up. Is that what it actually means? Well, now it is. Yeah, Yeah. it never means that until this year. Well, unless you really like summer league
1: basketball. I like Summer League. I like I mean, Summer League. I, I enjoyed Zion coming in and playing like the four minutes he did this past summer and then leaving for some reason and never playing again. But, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah,
0: I mean, I liked uh, Brandon Clark winning Summer League MVP. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, expected, but cool. Mm-hmm. Really, if he wasn't going to win it, then who was going to win it in Summer League this past year? I thought his game was perfectly suited for it. He was a three, yeah, three-year college player who had the – Highest PER in the last decade of college basketball outside of Zion. Um, the only thing that would keep him from winning it, I thought, would be point guards who can't properly deliver him the ball. So,
0: Right. And the biggest storyline right now, revolving the Memphis Grizzlies and the restart of basketball, is the John Morant muscle watch. John, Morant, <laughs> John Morant has up to 12 pounds since... March 11th being the stop at the season, the suspension of the season. And we were on a – I was on a media availability call today with John Morant, and he pointed to the fact that he'll be able to do stuff that he's done before but better because he's stronger, he can absorb more contact, and he can utilize his body better. So – I personally love to see it. Like, this is pretty freaking
1: cool. Yeah. Um, so, I have to say, well, first off, did you see him, like, from, like, the shoulders up in the media availability from earlier?
0: Uh, his biceps and his, his, like, arms looked bigger. Yeah. He definitely looked a little bit more filled out than he was before. But I think it's going to be, with him, it's going to be one of those things, kind of like how it is for, like, Kevin Durant. Matter how much weight he gains, he's still gonna yeah. have that slender build. Yeah, unless sure. he gets up to like 200 pounds, which would be another 15 pounds of muscle.
1: You, you know, not to get into too much details and me uh, describing another man's physique, and that'd be a little bit weird. But I think uh, for John Rondo is gonna be kind of his final build. And Rondo, at Boston at his peak, you know, like kind of has like muscular shoulders, kind of skinny arms, but kind of like like obviously tight and defined arms. I think that's what John Morant will end up looking like when all said and done. He's never going to be Russell Westbrook, who's built like a truck at the point guard position, or even Derrick Rose. This is not the way he's built. But adding that type of lean muscle, adding that explosive muscle that will make it easier for him to navigate on the court. But I have to say, when I saw his initial tweet when he said he put on 12 pounds of muscle, I figured he'd probably been spending a lot of time in the weight room over the last three or four months. But I was like – yeah, I'm going to need to see that to believe it. Uh, right, you're going to have to step on the scale in order for me to believe that because I just didn't think his frame would allow him to put on that kind of weight in this short uh, period of time.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, 12 pounds of muscle That's in a, a four-month stretch, yeah hard.
1: He's been lit, drinking those protein shakes from the GMC, um, lifting every single day, and – yeah, I, I am stunned. I, I thought that was the biggest thing that he could work on and improve on during the long layoff period before they start playing again because at the end of the day, it's hard to work on skill things which you can do. You can work on your ball handling and do skill drills, um, but you can't practice it against anybody for the most part over the last four months. Now, he's obviously been playing pickup on these closed media circuits the way he has been for the last month or so, so he can do that in that way. But uh, strength was a big hole in his game. It was something he needed to add in order to make it easier for him to navigate and get to his spots on the courts. And with that – he had all this time to focus on it, but even then, I did not expect him to have that great a degree of success with it in this short period of time. He was lifting like crazy.
0: Right, yeah. He actually posted a workout video on his Instagram, IGTV, yesterday, last night, maybe, and kind of as a chronicle of the the uh, the process, the journey to this weight gain. And... um. Yeah, hold up. We got a load breaking news because uh, Sean Coleman said, "Nice call." So let's see. Oh, it's just the idea of a second bubble, and the fact that the 18s not invited to Orlando will be able to play some, do some mini training camps, and uh, some games against other clubs, and that targeted for September.
1: Did the NBA? So, uh, ever give a response? Wasn't it a major league soccer team that basically went and formed their own bubble in Orlando and, like, six of them came down with COVID-19 within a few days after they got there? Um, I
0: have no idea.
1: Yeah, I seen – I thought that was making the rounds a couple of days ago, and obviously that's highly concerning for the, what the NBA is trying to do. If the MLS is going to basically form a control group for them and see what happens, but, um, you well, know – yeah
0: hey, is is the mls the nba when it comes to is being a better organization no uh, uh, they're sure. not on the same caliber
1: yeah, I you know, the NBA can organize the bubble as well as you can, but um, I'm going to go on a Stephen A. Smith short little tangent here and say um, the NBA can plan and organize the bubble as well as they possibly can, but the NBA players may just want to indulge in some extracurricular activities that ultimately the NBA just can't totally crack down on, and if even a few are out doing those things, then it poses a danger to everybody.
0: Hmm. Sure. Yeah, and so one thing I do want to mention about the bubble its something that I wrote on this week. It's tampering season. Tampering
1: season.
0: And I know many people will be pointing to Giannis and the Lakers or Giannis and the Clippers. If Bradley Beal goes down there, I'm sure other teams will try to entice him to demand that trade so that he can join them and join forces and go back to winning. But... This is the start of Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant being recruiters because as I've alluded to, not just in that post, but in the past, Jaw and Jaron have those personalities to where they can get somebody to come to Memphis to play with them. And I and if the Memphis Tiger recruiting thing for Jaw is any indicator, he will be proactive in getting another star to join him. In Memphis, granted, is that the best route for Memphis? No, because they should rely on the draft as a small market team. But if they can go get a star, why not? And so, Nate, I want to ask you, I mean, if you had a chance to read it, are there any names that I mentioned or any names that you have on the top of your head that sound enticing as a potential recruiting target for John Jaron in this Orlando bubble?
1: Well, first off, let's clear up one thing. I read everything, you're right, man. Like, there, there's nothing that gets bye-byes. Like, like, come on, don't even present the possibility to the audience that I don't read all of your articles. Come on now, you're my homeboy. Roll with me here. But uh, you may not return the favor, I, I don't know. I'll return
0: the favor, I do, it's all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure, you're an editor, I hope you do. <laughs> um, I, <see>. um, <laughs> um, I think the most important thing for John and Jaron to be able to tamper. Really, this is more about the future than it has to do with Orlando specifically. Right. Uh, you got to continue to grow as players. Like, you have to be – it's not enough to just be an outgoing guy that people enjoy being around, being known as one of the more friendly or outgoing personalities in the NBA, but it's going to be important for Ja to grow into a perennial all-star type player or for Jaron to take the leap and possibly become that type of player because at the end of the day, you want to play with people who can help you win. And, of course, we have a very high view of Jaron Jackson and John Morant in a vacuum and of the Grizzlies as a whole. And I think you and I were having the conversation last week where I posed the question to you and said, take big market, take small market, take all of that out of consideration and just put it all in a purely basketball vacuum. If you're Giannis Antetokounmpo and you're entering free agency this Next summer, right? Yeah, next summer, 2021. Next summer. Yeah, you're entering the 2021 free agency, and you're choosing to either play with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who are both in their early 30s. Clay's coming off an injury. Steph's well, that, coming off an injury. That's if they have
0: cap space. They won't have
1: cap space. Yeah, well, I mean, you create it for him if he says you.
0: wants to. I mean, yeah, for him. sure. Yeah, but yeah,
1: they didn't have cap space for Durant back in um, 2016. They had to do a little bit of extra moves on the side in order to create it. But back to the point. Um, Steph has a checkered injury, him, injury history. Clay is coming off an injury this year. And a vacuum, if I were Giannis, would I rather play with John Morant and Jaron Jackson over the next five years with the like, high view that I have of John Jaron rather than Steph Curry and Klay Thompson? Yeah, I would. But they have to be able to prove that to all the guys in the NBA, especially the top-level guys, that they are going to be – top-level guys in their own right that guys will want to play with. Now, you mentioned um, Luca. It's not going to happen. Okay, I
0: I also (laughs) know asterisk, asterisk. I started the article with guys that were pipe dreams, kind of like, holy crap, if this happened, like that would be great, but this isn't going to happen. And I immediately mentioned and crossed out Luka Doncic, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid and to an extent, Shah Gildas Alexander.
1: Yeah, like Oklahoma City is not going to do anything with Shea for the next five or so years. Like, it'll be, they're not going to do anything with him until his unrestricted free agency um, comes up. So, like, that's out of the question. I can't see, foresee any scenario where they move Shea Gildas Alexander or send him to Memphis in any scenario. Like, maybe... Devin Booker becomes available. But wouldn't you want Devin Booker alongside Shea Gildas-Alexander? I think you'd have to find a way to get that deal done without him. Um, and Oklahoma City has the assets in store to be able to pull off a move like that should they be willing to do so. <sighs> what were some of the other days? You mentioned Josh Richardson. Who- okay,
0: so I want to go s- start with the the hottest one I have. Okay. Because financially, by the time he enters the free agent, restricted free agency market in 2022, I think the fi- I think financially it'd be feasible. And if you're not committed to Jaren Jackson playing the five full time, they should try to take a flyer on Mo Bamba.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our resident GBB rider, Justin Lewis, will have a hard time getting over the fact that Bamba spurred the Grizzlies back in the 2018 draft. He didn't release his medical records. He didn't work out for the team. And I'll never forget, because you and I were the uh, site managers of Bill Street Bears back at the time when Justin wrote a, like, Two page letter to Muhammad Bob. <laughs> it was good. I enjoyed it, it was but good, I just remember, yeah. it, it, it was funny back at the time. But um, oh,
0: really, it, just like think about this. Like you have in a vacuum, this shop shop blocking big who's not going to demand a high volume of shots. Uh, he can both play in the pick and roll and the pick and pop. I think I don't think he's as good as the people said pre draft, but he's getting criminally misused in Orlando
1: why did they draft him? Like, I mean, I, I, why
0: did they draft him if they were going to give Vucevic a full year, $100 million extension and you still have a front court jam with him, with, uh, him Vucevic, Gordon, and Isaac?
1: You, you know who the magic right now remind me of? Like the very like deaf gasp of Britain grind at the very end, where the Grizzlies just couldn't decide what it was they wanted to do. Um, the popular narrative was that it was a rebuild on the fly, while they're still trying to compete. The truth of the matter is, unless you do it perfectly like the San Antonio Spurs, it is extremely difficult to try to rebuild while also trying to compete or reload while trying to compete in Orlando. You draft Baba, who's supposed to be your center of the future, which tells me that you don't think Nikola Vucevic is your long-term answer as your starting center. And then they trade – was it Jonathan Simmons and a first-round pick for Markel Fultz? And Fultz was a very useful player, and he showed a lot of growth. And I'm very happy that he's turned himself into a legitimate NBA role player. But you trade for Fultz – The same reason that you draft Bamba, you're looking towards the future to the core that you're building afterward. And now they're kind of stuck in the middle here, like they're currently in the eighth spot in the East. Um, They made the playoffs for the first time since what, 2012, 2011, this past year, and they're so
0: the White Howard trade.
1: Yeah, they win game one in Toronto, and they're just so anxious to remain in the postseason however they want that they essentially nuke their long-term plan and vision to move Muhammad Bamba to the starting lineup by giving Nikola Vucevic what was it, a five-year max deal? Off the top of my head, four-year max deal. Four or deal. five, yeah. Four or five-year max deal. I just don't get it. You, you cannot build long-term sustainable success in the NBA but not being committed, uh, committed to a particular vision.
0: Mm Hmm. And another, obviously, I mentioned in there, Jonathan Isaac. But I don't. I think the only way you get him is with a max offer sheet. And he has to have a. I. I don't. I'm kind of hesitant on a max offer sheet for him until I see what more he can do on the offensive end.
1: You get back to me after next year and see how it looks when it comes to a max offer
0: sheet. It could be one of those scenes similar to Brandon Ingram where we're like, okay, go give him an offer sheet in 2020, and then he breaks out, has an all-star year where he's averaging 24 points a game, and there's no chance in hell that the Pelicans won't match the offer.
1: Honestly, um, I think in a vacuum, like I would – you know how I feel about Jonathan Isaac. He's one of my favorite young players in the league. He's a – He's a preacher. How can I not? He's a preacher. Mm. Um, he's one of the uh, very best defenders in the NBA, even in his – gosh, I can't do the maps. This is his fourth year in the league, right? Fourth year. Uh, yeah. Fourth yeah year. Fourth. Third, third year.
0: Third year. Third,
1: yeah, th- third year in the league. Um, he was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate before he went down for the year. Um, he showed growth as a shooter. He showed growth on the offensive end. If he was a great rebounder, which you don't expect him to be an objectively great rebounder, he's 6'8, 210, if that, and he's not five, I don't expect him to go and grab 10 or 11 rebounds a game. But Considering Jaron's deficiency in that way, and like uh, Jaron is going to get better with more games played, more experience, and added strength, which apparently he's put on muscle too during the quarantine. He will grow as a rebounder, but Jaron is never going to be, I think, even a quote unquote good rebounder for a modern power forward or a modern sitter in the NBA. So I think, like, objectively speaking, you're going to need someone in the starting lineup in the long term who is a great rebounder, who can compensate for him in that way. And that's obviously Jonas Valanciunas right now. I wrote two weeks ago, or last week, about why Valanciunas needs to start stay in the starting lineup for that reason. And maybe Brandon Clark ends up becoming that player. Clark is a very good rebounder that Jaron can slot into the five. But I would be hesitant about giving Isaac that offer sheet when I feel like the Grizzlies would get killed on the glass with him at the four and Jaron at the five in the starting lineup.
0: Mm -hmm. For one, before we move on, all I got to say is this year, per 36 minutes, Mo Bamba averaged 12.4 rebounds a game. That's all I'm going to say.
1: That's why, I I certainly love Isaac as a player more than I do Bamba, but like in a vacuum, I think he would definitely fit better in Memphis for what they currently – if you were to take balance units out of the equation for the long term, I think Bamba would better fit long term.
0: And one final name I'll mention – just quickly, is Victor Oladipo just because they have a tricky financial situation with Broaden and Turner and Sabonis? I think he could be had, but I think you got to see what he's like next season after he, this injury.
1: So obviously, he came off a torn Achilles, and I only know this because I was looking at players' numbers at finishing through the rim for the Justice Winslow article I ran today. Um, for the amount of shots, that Justice Winslow took at the rim. He was averaging 3.7 shots at the rim in 2008 – or for this year before he got hurt. And I was looking through all the players who had uh, attempted at least that many shots. Victor Oladipo had the absolute worst field goal percentage at the rim. He lost his explosiveness. He lost his bounce. Um, For a superbly athletic player who could finish above the rim – that's really concerning to me that he fell off that hard in such a way. I think he shot 41% at the rim, if my memory serves me correctly, which is awful. That's just terrible. Point guard, shooting guard, center, power forward, no matter what you are, that's absurdly bad. Um, Hopefully that rebounds, I enjoy watching him play. He's a great, he's a joy to watch when he's healthy. He's a flamboyant player, an outgoing player, but um, I hope for his sake that he's able to return to normalcy to a certain degree next year. But like you said, you just have to wait and see. Yeah.
0: So that's a perfect time to what we're closing the show with. And that is about Justice Winslow. You wrote an article today about how to maximize Justice Winslow. And a few weeks ago, I wrote about Justice Winslow's positional versatility. So, Nate, what is the key to maximizing Justice Winslow? Not just in this bubble for this play in, this playoffs, but going forward.
1: For sure. So. He came into the league as quite a raw prospect, and he was a good rookie. His numbers aren't going to jump out at you by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a very impactful team and individual defender on a Miami team that went to the second round of the playoffs as a rookie. It was his second year that he dealt with injuries, and, I, and I'm just going to say it. You're not going to be happy that I'm going to say it. I'm going to use my patented and NBA history comparison here, just because it's kind of comical in the grand scheme of things. So in it, he played 18 games in his second year in the league, and he averaged about 10 points a game on about 12 shots, um, shot in the 30s her field goal percentage, shot 20% from three, and he played 34 minutes a game. So he was obviously playing hurt during that time. So why Spolstro was playing him 34 minutes a game is beyond me. But I went through and checked the numbers of players who fit in each one of those categories. There were about 100 names on those lists and about 99 of them we're all players from the 50s and 60s in the NBA. And then I look, and there's Justice Winslow from the 2016 17 season. Um, that is not at all to suggest that Justice Winslow is a bad player, but it does show that one, he has struggled with injuries over the course of his career, um, he missed most of this season with injuries. Um, he's had he's missed at least, I think, 15 games in just about every season he's played in, except one. So injuries are something he consistently deals with. And two, Miami didn't know how to properly use him for a good portion of the time that they were there. And it was only during the 2017-18 season when Goran Dragic missed 36 games that the Miami Heat finally figured out how to use him. They started using him as a primary playmaker. He started a point guard, and he started posting career highs across the board. And he was able to grow and thrive in that role as an initiator and as a playmaker. So there were still two areas of his game that were holding him back from being everything that he could be, and that's shooting and finishing. Now, in 2017-18, he shot 38% from three on 3.8 attempts a game. That's really good. Um, I would like to see those attempts go up, obviously, but that's very good. Now here's the best part about that and why I think his shooting is going to be even better in Memphis. He shot just 16% on pull-up threes that year. Remember how much time he was spending as the primary playmaker of that offense in the absence of Goran Trojan. He was shooting 16% on pull-up threes and 41% on catch-and-shoot. Taylor Jenkins. Jenkins is not going to use him as a primary playmaker most of the time, whether it's in Orlando or next season, when you got Jabra when you got Tyus Jones, when you got De'Anthony Melton, he's going to be playing off the ball more, and he's going to have that much more catch-and-shoot opportunities that he didn't have in Miami because the ball was in his hands more at the end of his career in Miami than it was in Memphis. So you can expect his three-point shooting to go up. You can also expect the volume of the threes, the amount of threes he takes to go up while he's in Memphis. Jonas Valanciunas, Jared Jackson, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, Solomon Hill. Um, I'm I'm probably missing a few other names. They all st- all posted career highs in three point rate this year. Taylor Jenkins, right? yeah, Taylor Jenkins. Who? Tyus. Tyus did not. That was strange to me. Like I thought about I the. I think eyes. it was because
0: of that start he had. He had a very. He was awful. Shooting start.
1: Yeah, and he, he did shoot as much. But um, Tyus, I think, over the second half of the year definitely did. But in this let-it-fly offense that Taylor Jenkins has, he's empowered his players to let it fly, to launch threes at rates they never have anywhere else. So Winslow is probably going to shoot threes at a better accuracy and a better volume than he did at Miami. And finishing at the rim, which has been an issue for him throughout his NBA career, that's going to become easier for him in Memphis too. He's playing with two elite pure point guards. I say elite pure in the sense that they can set their teammates up as well as any other point guards in the NBA. And John Morant and Tyus Jones, who will get him in the right spaces so that he doesn't have to create as many opportunities going to the basket for himself that he did in Miami. The Grizzlies also play with phenomenal spacing. They're second in the league in team assists right now. That'll also lead to clearer lanes for him to finish at the basket. So Miami was able to unlock him as a playmaker, and the Grizzlies will be able to use that, use him as a secondary playmaker and a primary playmaker if he plays with the second unit for extended stretches of time. And the Grizzlies should be able to unlock his shooting and finishing and what he eventually becomes after that, I don't know. An elite role player, for sure, I think. I think that's what the Grizzlies will turn him into.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, one thing I pointed out in, the, um, in this whole Justice Winslow ac- acquisition and having to integrate him into the system and maximize his potential, like you said, it comes to uh, his shooting – I do think there'll be more opportunities for catch-and-shoot opportunities for him where he's historically around that 36 to 40%, as well as he will have chances to initiate the offense a little bit and get John Moran off the ball. But the biggest thing with him that I like about Justice Winslow is – if it's not working for him starting at the small forward, you've seen success in Miami where he's had success as a two guard. He's had success as a point guard. He's had success as a small ball four. they can kind of slot him anywhere. And except really the five and he can experience success there. That's mm-hmm. something to keep in mind because if it comes down to it and let's say he's a small ball four, he's best suited as a small ball four. well, Brandon Clark and, Kyle Anderson together as at four and five this season, we're at least like a plus three and a half. So it shows that you can sacrifice and have some minutes that would, uh, going towards Brandon Clark at the five, if it means maximizing justice Winslow, because it's all possible.
1: If you know, what was the best example to me that I've ever seen of like the matchup problems that justice Winslow can present. Hmm first game of the season when they played the Grizzlies. They had him starting at point guard because I think Drogic was coming off the bench in that game. He was the smallest player in that lineup at six 6'7", 220, so the Grizzlies couldn't hide Ja Morant on someone else. They had to put him on Winslow. And I vividly remember one play where Winslow had the ball kind of next on the left side of the free throw line, and he just took two dribbles, power dribbles into Ja's chest and just laid it up on top of him. Um mm-hmm. Now obviously Jaw, that was his first NBA game. Jaw is much thinner and smaller than Justice Winslow and hopefully won't have to guard any other matchups like that again. But it does put into perspective the type of matchup problems he can create on any given night.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting because just think about this. The Grizzlies went 32 and 33 with primarily giving big minutes. That's a three. Or starting at the three, Jay Crowder, Kyle Anderson, and Solomon Hill. Imagine what happens to the ceiling and floor of the team when they have Justice Winslow out there, a big playmaking wing that can initiate the offense, space the floor, shoot the three, realistically defend five positions. A lot of the times, just in switch scenarios and he could just be an overall matchup nightmare. And that's something that could play a pivotal role for this Memphis Grizzlies team, especially if they have to put him on Zion Williamson at some point. Or if they have to put him on LeBron James or put him on Chris Middleton or Giannis Antetokounmpo. They can, they can do that, and he's probably the best player equipped for it. And just the possibilities, both good and bad, with Justice Winslow, they're endless.
1: For sure. Um, that's the excitement of it is you don't know exactly where he's going to be slotted into. And you're going to have to ask him to take on a difficult matchup. Do you see that photo of Zion in his little hoodie?
0: Oh, dude. I
1: felt a constraining facility. Like, if that dude was coming up to me in a dark alley, I'd be terrified. Like, his arms are just massive now. Like, God, just such a... He's someone I feel like who can just go into the weight room and just accidentally put on five pounds of muscle for one workout. (laughs) Like That's just how he's built.
0: Or he's, he's the guy that goes into the weight room and slaps on 225 on bench and knocks out like 15, 20 reps.
1: Did you ever read The Blind Side growing up?
0: The movie about the thing with Michael Orr?
1: Yeah, did you ever read the book? I watched the movie. Okay, you know what? Um, This wasn't from the book or movie. So my track coach at Briarcrest, his name was Kent Austell, and Kent was on the basketball team and did track with Michael Orr back at Briarcrest. And I can imagine Zion doing something like Michael did in one of the stories that Kit told me. He said Michael went in there. He, I think he said he had a 45 and a 25 on both sides of the barbell when he got down to bench. He picks the bar up, lifts it over his head. He's feeling lazy. He doesn't want to do it. He just throws the bar up casually and catches it and just puts it back on the rack and gets up because I don't think I can put in context just how much insane strength that does to do that so casually. And that's the type of thing I imagine Zion does every time he goes into the weight room.
0: It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, it's going to be an exciting time for the Memphis Grizzlies, just not even just with the Justice Winslow uh, acquisition or with John Morant's muscle watch. But just seeing how this team picks their rhythm back up and grinds forth towards shocking the world and getting that eight seed in the playoffs. I mean, whether it's DeAnthony Melton's low-key brilliance or Brandon Clark's, um, just his game and how NBA Twitter is just infatuated with him. Jaron Jackson Jr. and seeing him, I know you I know you hate this comparison, but seeing if he can be another seven-foot Clay Thompson. But with him being healthy, and seeing how mobile he is dribbling the basketball and taking opponents off the dribble and making real plays off the perimeter, something that we've seen him do in the past, but also something where Coach Jenkins kind of compared him a little bit to Giannis Antetokounmpo in that way is – a big forward that can take the ball off the dribble and take his opponents to the basket. And it's just going to be, and Josh Jackson seeing what he's going to do there, it's just gonna be fun. Like, I'm really excited for this bubble. I'm really hoping that it all works.
1: Hey, hey, Joe, if you're listening to this man, like I totally like your writing where you compare Jaron to Clay Thompson. Don't don't get the impression that, like, I'm crapping on that comparison by any stretch of the imagination, even if I don't necessarily care for it, like Parker said. um, Yeah, man. It, it's going to be fun for sure. Um, do you remember a point ever when there was this much optimism going forward for the Grizzlies? Maybe 2011. Maybe. Like, after they got bounced by the Thunder in 2011, there was kind of this thought that, like, you know, they were an eight seed and they went to the second round. They're only going to get better. What more could they achieve together?
0: I'd say 2012, 2013, because the Grizzlies started out that season at the top of the Western Conference. They maybe lost, like, two or three games in their first 15.
1: They blew out Miami after starting, like, 6-1. and I remember that was huge.
0: Yeah, and then I remember that same week they were hosting a fi- or they were hosting the New York Knicks, who were also on a great start. That was when they had Carmelo, Stoudemire, Tyson Chandler, Jr. Smith. And I specifically remember because it was a nationally televised game, and people called it a potential finals preview,
1: which is even more hilarious when you consider that the Knicks were involved in that comparison.
0: <laughs> right. I mean. It, I think that was probably the most optimism there was towards the team because you had the core for it, and it looks like they were finally getting Rudy Gate not just activated to it, but thriving in it. And they also had a bench where, I mean, they traded a lot of them away, but most spates, Wayne Ellington, Quincy Pondexter, guys like that. So that's what yeah. I have right now. But I mean, as far as like long term outlook, no,
1: I don't think uh, so. I don't think so. Uh, like, You could maybe say after the 2012-13 season where, you know, they made it to the Western Conference Finals and they got swept. So you're saying, oh, they're just one piece of wave where they can possibly win an NBA championship. But they really followed that up. Mike Miller was their key acquisition the following summer after they got swept in the Western Conference Finals. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if you think Mike Miller is going to cause a four-game shift between you and the San Antonio Spurs in a playoff series, you're crazy. Not going to happen. But I'd probably agree with you on that, and we just need to be thankful for what we have now because the truth of the matter is if you had said even a year ago or a year and a half ago that the Grizzlies would be in the position that you, they are now, um, this is the absolute very best-case scenario for how things could have gone between then and now. And we got to be grateful for that, for sure.
0: Absolutely. And so, Nate, we're running out of time here. Plug your stuff in.
1: You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find me, all my Grizzlies-related content, at grizzlybearblues.com.
0: Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're following the blog on Twitter at Grizzlies, And make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you have to do. For the GBB Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 podcast with the number four, not the word four. With like that, that's it.